Uh, hello, and welcome to On the Matter of Systems, episode 1.2, Dating.Sim and Wishlist. Uh, on the Matter of Systems is a podcast that you are listening to, uh, in which myself and my co-host B say hello, B. Wow, I'm I'm in a I'm in a podcast that I like host, and I'm not driving it. This is this feels so weird. Hello, smooth, great, love it. Uh, <laughs> um, it's this is a podcast in which B and I uh, read a piece of tabletop RPG theory. Um, maybe about design, maybe about uh, role-playing in general, uh, every month. And then uh, after that, we also read a tabletop game. Uh, and in the case of this week, or this month, I guess, we are reading two of them. So why don't I talk about the two games that we're going to talk about today? I would love that. Incredible. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're um, reading two games today, or we have already read the two games, Dating.Sim and Wishlist, both of which are by Tyler Crumrine, who founded Possible Worlds Games, which you can find if you go to possibleworldsgames.com or, you know, Google Possible Worlds Games or Google Tyler Crumrine. But yeah, we're uh, we're reading two games from uh, the Possible Worlds sort of box set uh, that Tyler did a Kickstarter for, I think back in 2019. I forgot to actually double check that. But basically the Kickstarter was to release physical versions of uh, these six uh, RPGs. Dating.Sim and Wishlist are two of those. Uh, I did back the Kickstarter, so I have the cool box. And the Kickstarter was specifically to put out physical versions of these games. And they're cool. They come in these little... Uh, like steno pad, kind of like reporter notebooks, so spiral bound on the top. And each of the games has a different uh, artist working with Tyler. Uh, Tyler wrote all of the RPGs. And I'm going to give a very high-level overview of dating.sim and then a very high-level overview of wishlist. And... Uh, talk a little bit about why I chose these um, for the Can episode. I jump in Please? super quick? Yeah. Uh, just two very small things. Um, I'm looking this up, and it's not easy to say, but I'm pretty sure it, it was 2021 oh, when okay. it was like early 2021 when the um, Kickstarter was. Cool. Uh, just because I've I've listened to a, a brief segments of a few interviews with Tyler Crumrine, which also led me to discover that the the thing that Tyler Crumrine did before uh, Possible Worlds was run a small press called Plays in Verse. Oh which takes weird, small, experimental plays and publishes them as they were, though they were poetry books. Whoa. Um, I, uh, sorry, did I just uh, accidentally make you spend a bunch of money? I'm sorry, I'm not even listening to you. I'm literally just looking it up now. Uh, the one, I, I looked at their catalog and um, I haven't read anything by them, but I know the... Uh, that my place of work uh, was briefly carrying uh, your healing. Your healing is killing me by Virginia Gre- Grease or Grice. Uh, that looks pretty cool. I remember seeing it and being like, "This looks cool." It's too bad I don't read poetry. I listener do read poetry. It's true. This is true. But yeah, I just wanted to to bring that up because I thought that was a, a cool little thing. It seems like there's still a thing in case you're a you know. In case, listener, you are yourself a playwright who wants to submit a play to be published in verse or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we should uh, we should go on about the games. We should. But you to confirm your earlier question, <laughs> yes, you have, in fact, now put me in a position where I will probably spend way too much money uh, buying <laughs> that plays in verses. But cool. Yeah, that was great. I uh, thanks for 
looking that stuff up. I did not actually mm-hmm. dig too much into uh, Tyler in particular, um, which I should probably do a little more in the future. I was not expecting to, but then I decided I should learn how that how dating.sim is actually pronounced, yeah. and it led to, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, let's uh, talk about the two games then. So I'm just going to give a very high-level uh, summary of both of the games that we'll be talking about, and then we'll get into the actual conversation. Um, so to start, dating.sim. So dating.sim is a fun kind of hybrid between like a party game and a sort of collaborative storytelling game. It is very explicitly based on the idea of like a dating show, like the dating game, and then also visual novels. It is a game that is divided into two rounds. In the first round, one player at the table is the lead, so the person looking for the date, and then everybody else at the table uh, comes up with player characters. And in round one, the lead uh, goes through the process of picking the date. Um, So they ask questions, answer things, there's mechanics for this, Uh, but that's round one. So in round one, the lead picks a date. In round two, the player uh, who made the date character that won plays their date character on the date. And then the rest of the table switches to basically proposing uh, solutions to problems that the date brings up as the lead. So in the first part, the lead was played by one person, everybody else was playing player characters. In the second part, the winning player character plays their uh, date and everybody else suggests uh, what the lead might want to do. And then as the lead players suggest things, uh, the date picks a winner. Whoever wins gets a date point. And at the end of the game, the lead with the most date points wins and the the win- winning lead player and the date player both get to sort of collaboratively, collaboratively narrate the end of the game. Um, so yeah, so that's dating.sim. And then Wishless is pretty different. Wishless is a more traditional role-playing game, I would say. The idea of Wishless is in the world of Wishless, there was a, a source uh, of wishes, uh, and then there was an event, something happened, and the wish-granting power was distributed to everybody all at once. So instead of somebody finding a genie and getting their three wishes, everybody on the planet got three wishes. And Wishless is about 10 years after that event, you are playing hunters, wish hunters, and those wish hunters go out into the world on missions, uh, chasing down leads about rogue wish granters or weird wish-related things. And then you do sort of some kind of basic rolling of dice and kind of checking two numbers against each other, right? Like rolling strength checks style things. And then the goal of the game is to complete the mission successfully by sort of beating each of the obstacles and then um, sort of challenging the difficulty rating to lower the difficulty rating down such that uh, you can beat the difficulty rating twice and then you win. Woo! And there's some light advancement, which is kind of cool. Sort of the big like twist of uh, Wishlist is plot wagers. So we'll talk about this in a lot more detail, but the basic high level is uh, a player character can at some point essentially give themselves a worse chance of being successful at a given role, but guarantee the inclusion of some sort of narrative beat. So uh, there's like a fun kind of risk reward to it. So that is Wishlist. Yeah. So last bit before I stop talking for a little bit, thank <laughs> God, is why did I pick these? Um, so uh, I, three reasons in general. Um, so I knew... This will not always be the case. This is, in fact, not the case for 2.1 right now. I have no idea what we're reading for the next theory thing. 
um, mm-hmm. because I'm a very nice co-host and did not click the secret links, <laughs> even though posting a thing that says do not click secret link is very mean. Uh-huh. But listen, we've, we're establishing. I know. Um, but in this case, I did know that we were going to read System Does Matter. Um, and so I, I kind of had the thought even before I'd read System Does Matter, like, oh, maybe it'd be fun to read a couple things, actually, and kind of, you know, see how different systems work and feel and what they're different, whatever player outlooks are so that was that was one thing um that i thought it might be interesting i I don't know we'll talk about system does matter and sort of reading these games and if it had any effect on how we read these or how we thought about these later and so like i don't think we're going to necessarily like apply the method that ron edwards suggests in system does matter but uh I can I can I can very confidently tell you right now I'm sure fucking yeah not going no to. <laughs> I I thought about it for a very brief second yesterday evening like oh do I really want to like sit down and try to map this out and then I didn't do that I did it literally anything else um so I, I also thought if so if we're gonna read two I thought well it might be interesting to try and find two games by the same designer especially if I could find two that were like kind of different right which I think at least in bo- sort of like tone these are pretty different. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing was we um, there's like a, a there's a non episode an episode that doesn't exist but uh, where you and I be talked a lot about you know why we want to do this and kind of like getting on the same page about things and one of the things that came out of there that was a direct uh, influence on me choosing dating sim in particular we read games pretty differently I think yes absolutely right and I tend to read them as like this fun cool closed system of like mechanics that are interesting to think through you tend to read games as a much more I think natural way which is do I want to <laughs> play this with the people that I play games with yes and so I thought it, I thought it would be interesting I have no I, like I would say neither of these I was I like oh yeah this is this is for B right right but dating.sim I especially was like I don't think B would ever want to play this I, to be fair I also probably don't ever want to play it um <laughs> but I thought that might just be interesting is like how did the reading go like how, how was it reading a game that you don't really ever want to play given sort of historically how you have been reading games so yeah those are those are some of the reasons i chose these also i bought them and i wanted to read them and i don't i had only read <laughs> hounds so uh from the uh-huh. from the box set so yeah uh so any any thoughts or questions for me about the context i i guess uh i will say that um these are. I, I think this is true for all of Tyler Crumbine's games. It's like somewhere in the in the twenty to thirty page yep. range. Yeah. Um, these are not micro RPGs. These aren't you know one pagers. Um, I'm going to be referencing a couple of those I think later in in some specific comments about about two gigs and three fulfilled wishes. Uh, <laughs> but we can we can I'll punt that down the road. Uh, but they're not like you know. Uh, you know they're not D and D tomes. They're not even you know your standard powered by the apocalypse length, which I think generally runs like hundred to three hundred pages. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah, uh, and a lot of that's because uh, it, it's interesting because you you what you don't get from these books is like a hard setting and a bunch of character classes. You get um, sort of a, a a loose sketch of. An idea that gets drilled down on a little bit with some mechanics and then um, some actual play or like some example play stuff um, just to like sort of give give the listener an idea of what this book might look like. If any of that gives you an idea of what this book might look like, then I have done well. If not, 
I have failed. It's true. Uh, no, I I think that's really good to point out that I I had meant to include something about sort of the the general length, right? Because yeah, I think that's a good. This is not the burning wheel for sure, but this is also mm-hmm. like not even downfall or something or like microscope, which are like pretty thin books. Yeah, but it's also not lasers and feelings, right? These are I, I just checked yes. the dating dot sim is twenty eight pages and wishlist is twenty two pages as printed. Uh, but they're also like in a kind of weird format or whatever, um, so right, pretty pretty easy to to get through in my opinion. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I particularly noticed that because so much of my reading recently has been, especially for Island Demeter stuff, is it's very much focused on one to fifteen page books. Yeah, um, and so you were like, we're gonna do a couple of short ones, and I was like, these are long actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> This is longer than what I've been reading lately. Um, Wait, they're not actually. Well, yeah. that this was actually a genuine concern, and I decided to not ask you <laughs> and, and yeah. just give you these and be like, "This is what we're doing," because this was that that was the correct decision. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, uh, why don't you keep talking? So, next thing we're gonna do in these game episodes, after I give my sort of overall summary and context, is. Mm-hmm. What's your overall summary and context of the reading? <laughs> uh, so yeah, what what do you think? What what how do you find these sort of at a high level, and then we'll okay kind of seek into talking about them in depth. Uh, on a on a high level, I think these games are both really neat. I as 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 you have said and sort of expected, I have some issues with both of them for sort of different reasons. Dating.sim sounds like uh, it would be my personal hell to play, um, which was an interesting thing. Put me in a position where I was like, yeah, I would absolutely have just bailed out on this. Like if I saw this game when I was like looking for something to play for, you know, like a, a little home game or an Island Demeter thing, I would probably be like, oh, this is, this sounds interesting. And I would read probably three pages and be like, nah, cool. Uh, what's next? <laughs> um <laughs> So it was interesting reading it in a context where it's like, I can't do that. Um, or I guess, I mean, I can do anything. Yeah, you could not read it. I probably would be yeah. a little frustrated with you. But I, I, I get it. Yeah, well, th- that's super interesting. And and sort of is what I expected. Uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad I decided to do my experiment. Yeah. Yeah, this, that is also not just at all to say that it seems like a bad game to play. It just hits like... It hits both, like, um, a certain level of complexity and um, back and forth movement that, like, I think is neat in theory, but I don't know how I would be able to run at a table particularly well. And also just a bunch of, like, genuine anxiety triggers that I have around, um, I mean, competition specifically, but, like... The second I started actually trying to imagine playing this, I was like, I, I, there was a strong chance if I was playing this game that I would have either an anxiety attack in the middle of it or a huge adrenaline dump afterwards that meant I just had to lay on the floor for between 15 and 45 minutes and not have anyone talk to me beyond asking, like, can I get you some water? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like, I... Uh, I think dating.sim is really cool. I think there's a lot of really interesting ideas that we will soon talk about. I also don't have any interest in playing it. Um, I don't have any interest in competing to be someone's date. 
both in mm-hmm. at, a, at a table <laughs> or in real life. So yes, like yes. it just it's just for me it was it just kind of a miss of theme. But I, I still think there's quite a lot to chat about, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, and then and, and just on the wish list thing, like wish list is a, is a really interesting one. I think I also probably wouldn't necessarily want to play it as such. But like that one's less about. I mean, significantly less about uh, personal anxiety triggers <laughs> and a lot more about like, this is interesting. I kind of wish, I kind of wish the setting was a little bit more established, not like in this, in the, you know, you know, apocalypse world versus dungeon world kind of way of being like, here is these mechanics, but with a, you know, a very specific genre in mind or whatever, but more just like, there's, how do you say this? Right. Um, there's flavor in this, but it doesn't, it's kind of like just scattershot throughout and not really like, it doesn't, it doesn't give me a sense of like what a particularly fun way to play this. And I did notice when I was doing a, a little bit of looking around that the sort of original pitch on this game, um, I'm assuming this is what it was referring to, um, but like on the on the Kickstarter for the six games, there was like, or I'm gonna I'm gonna make six games that are inspired by, and then like a list of things, and one of them was inspired by Disney's Aladdin. Um, and uh, I'm glad it wasn't. It didn't end up being, you know specifically like an aladdin style world that i think was a smart choice uh, for reasons that i (laughs) feel are pretty obvious (laughs) but like i do kind of wish there was a little less just like just do whatever you want a little more like um you know a little more flavor text even just to like more directly guide you toward something that might be interesting like a world that might be interesting um there is some of that but it just doesn't i don't know it doesn't hit for me super well um and then (sighs) the dice mechanics in this are fucking weird to me and i and i think we need to break that out into a very specific conversation at some point sure but yeah like there's, there's some really fucking cool shit in here also so like i guess to sort of you know do the thing that we said or that the segment i guess is supposed to be about is like i came away from both of these being like these are really neat these are both not for me in different ways um but i'm glad i read both of them and um i i'm probably not gonna like you know yank anything from them because uh, <laughs> that's the other thing i do read for is like even if I'm not going to play this game, is there like a little mechanic in here that I might be able to, or like a, you know, a, a way of progression or some sort of, uh, you know, like safety tool or whatever that I, that I've never seen before that I can kind of just like pull into the general stew pot and, and. Oh, you're playing stew pot? Use... Not yet. Listen. I'm very funny. <laughs> I would love to. Uh uh, Alone Among the Stars is is my favorite solo role playing game I've ever played. Takuma Okada is uh, is fantastic. Uh, just haven't gotten us together. Anyway, <laughs> this is this is an accusatory moment. This was not for me. This was not an accusatory. <laughs> was not an accusatory comment. It was the... no. I'm I'm accusing. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Ricky. Yeah, wow. Okay. <laughs> Rude. Um. Uh, on that note, why don't we have you not talk for a bit, and I will <laughs> say, let's uh, let's talk about the games in depth. Uh, so actually, so you know, I, I made I, I am me, so I made like a little agenda. But I, why don't we actually just start with wish lists? Because I think the I think the setting 
thing is interesting and was kind of where I was kind of going to start with Wishlist. Because you're right that it is it is a pretty open setting. I, I had a similar feeling about Wishlist, which was like, I do wish... <laughs> I do wish there was just like a little bit bit more in terms of kind of like helping me understand the the world. But I did I actually thought it was pretty clever. I, is this is this language that Tyler uses for for the setting? Is that like n- known? Or wait, is that was that in That's in uh you're talking about dating.sim. Dating dot yeah. You're right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Then let's start with dating.sim, and let's there <laughs> from we go. there we can talk about uh, how I think it would have been useful language to use in Wishlist. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so dating.sim introduces this idea of um, the like when you're picking your setting, when you're establishing your setting as a table, these three things, an open setting, a fixed setting, or a found setting. I had not seen these before, but this feels like language that could be common, and I'm just not, I'm just not the right person. Um, to recognize it. But I was wondering if you'd ever run across it before. I, I am in the same boat as you. I Reading this was like, I've never seen this before. This probably is a thing that people say. Yeah. I mean, and, <laughs> it, and at the very least, it's just, it's a really clever, quick way of yeah. explaining to a table, like, hey, these are kind of some yes. of our options. So open setting is you have unlimited options, right? Like it just, okay, whatever. Like we can have unicorn people. We can have... Uh, robots, we can have sentient jellyfish, we can have humans, we can have elves, like whatever. Just no, we can mm-hmm. have aliens. So that's an open setting. Oh yeah, I just realized the thing. sentient washing machine is one of the things that Tyler writes in the actual book, which is very yes. funny. A fixed setting is uh, basically like a genre, right? So like we want to do a fantasy setting. Um, so all the people in our dating game are going to be people you would find in a fantasy setting or a sci-fi setting or whatever but like big broad kind of like tropey genre kind of like thick fixed worlds right but uh, a found setting is even more fixed which is a found setting would be like <laughs> we want to play in x-files which is i think the example tyler uses um but yep. it could be you know like we want <laughs> I don't, I don't know why this is what just popped in my head, uh, but we could do mm-hmm. an avatar dating, dating dot sim, James mm. Cameron's avatar, to be clear. Okay. The I, blue alien. I was hoping you were not talking about the one with the No, kids. no, no. The, yeah, no, the, the, the weird um, aliens with their, the yeah, with their sex tails or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, which I just thought was really, I, I thought was really cool, honestly. Like, I think it's a really, mm-hmm. it's like a very quick, a very like graspable way of kind of saying what is the space we want to play in. Yes. And I think it speaks to the thing you said about wishlist <laughs> that I just assumed that was in wishlist because in some ways that seems even more necessor- necessary for wishlist, right? Like literally any kind of guardrails or like guidance on like what this world looks like, I think could be helpful because it's just so it's just so open and still like pretty specific in wishlist in terms of how the world yes. works. Yes. Uh, yes, it, there are a bunch of very specific things that have to have happened, but no yeah, there's like a line in here um I shouldn't be doing the thing where I'm talking and scrolling through a uh, like yeah, there's uh this is the line I was thinking of in the in the world section of the game page 6. 
you, as a group, brainstorm answers to the following questions. What was the source? Who found it? How was it destroyed? Was the, destru- was the destruction intentional? How much of the above does the public know? And even that last bit is a bit weird because you've already set up a, that last question seems a bit weird to me because you've already set up that the whole world got three wishes. Um, and I guess you could play in a way where you're like, well, everyone got wishes, but they don't know specifically from what. But like that wishes are big. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I could I could I see know. that working I, for for sure. Like. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it working. I can't see it being super interesting. But sorry, I was the point I was trying to get to was um, the the next line here is if your source was a machine, advanced technology existing might mean your setting is sci-fi. If your source is a magical being, more magic could exist within a larger fantasy setting. Or if your source was seven magical spheres, you might be in an anime. Like good, good little fun DBZ reference there. But like, <sighs> I get. <laughs> I get the impulse of wanting to write a thing that says, like, here's, like, do some of your world building together collaboratively, and then we'll, like, extrapolate out into something else. Um, but, like, I guess the guardrails thing is exactly what I'm, like, I, I, I just don't, I can't see it, it's not that I can't see it working. Here's here's part of my secret about game, tabletop games is I, um, <laughs> I can see pretty much any any game producing an interesting time um, because I'm more focused on the table than I am on the, the game as a system, which is, a, <laughs> which is why I have BW here Hello. To, to do the thing that our, uh, uh, <laughs> that our title uh, says we're going to do or whatever. But just as a, as a thing that, that I could find interesting or, or like a more useful way to create a quick world than the million other games that I have access to. It just it just doesn't work for me, I don't think. Sorry, I cut you off when you were going to say a thing. So please, please tell me why I am being uh, completely ungenerous here. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't think you're being completely ungenerous. I, so I I think that Wishlist in particular works for a very particular kind of table. And to me, I mean, both of these games, this is something I've thought about a, a little bit, at least so it's kind of a half-formed thought, but something like dating.sim or wishlist for very different reasons really does require like a table that I feel like, at least for me, it would require a table that I'm very comfortable at, right? Yeah. Like yes. people that I know really well and and that makes it like really hard, honestly, to like know if this is like specific to me or if this is maybe like, if this is maybe a thing that is kind of missing from wishlist. Uh, not that there's any kind of like objective thing that I'm talking about exactly. Right. But <laughs> um, I do. Yeah. I just, I just wish there was like a little, a little more. Um, and honestly, even just including the like open fixed found kind of concept of like, here are some weir- ways to like draw the boundaries of the world you're about to create in wishlist, I think would have been really helpful. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's like a fundamental f- flaw of like I I think you I I can easily see wishlist being really really fun especially with the secretary sort of uh the way the secretary is kind yes. of like built up or whatever um or like anyway we can talk more about the secretary but um I do I do think that dating.sim it felt like the openness was 
was once you got into the game. Whereas Wishlist, I, I, I felt like there was like such a sort of unlimited span of what you could like where you would even start in describing things. Um, and I didn't find the questions about the source or the event to be like super helpful in guiding me, at least in the abstract, maybe around a table with other people, it would be totally fine. It, it just, yeah, it feels to me to sort of cap this off or whatever. Like it feels to me like there's like a, just a, just a little bit missing from the setting stuff that like doesn't make this game in any way bad or anything. I'm just like, I wanted, I wanted it to be a little bit more for me, I guess. Um, and it's not, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. I, I, I think I tend to sort of agree that felt like the, honestly, like the, the world stuff in wishlist felt like the hardest thing. That would be the hardest thing for me in play would be like, Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we just gotta we just gotta get this thing started. Well, cool. Why don't we uh, why don't we go back to dating.sim and maybe talk through dating.sim a little bit? The game starts with uh, a couple of things that I thought were interesting because they don't they aren't in wishlist. Um, so one is sort of setting a rating, an ESRB rating is what um, yeah what Tyler used, <laughs> which is very interesting. Uh, e for everyone, T for teen, M for mature, A O for adults only. Um, and it, it, I think the, I think the the way that this is written is not like because this is the best way of doing it. I think this is Tyler's attempt to go. This is a thing a lot of people are familiar with, right? So this is a, a good way, like a good shorthand, much like the open fixed found. Yes, I think it's also. I know a lot of games will do a you know PG PG thirteen rating system, and I think this is kind of probably a nod to the fact that these are um, influenced by dating sim video games and it's kind of a cute little reference back to that um i think it's i I mean the mpaa is is you know just as fucked as the esrb is in in plenty of ways so like whatever but it it struck me as both like really cute and a little like really like a okay okay (laughs) cool cool this is cool, I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, that's where I ended up coming down on it. It is, so it is immediately followed up by sort of a, a very brief introduction to the X card, right? Which I think is, in, yes. given the context of dating.sim, what it, what it is yes. doing, I think both of these things are, are good and, and pretty important, right? You, yes, much absolutely. less important than in wish lists. I mean, I, people could, you know, listen, we have mutual friends who would probably make a very fun body game of wish lists, but... Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, like dating.sim, you are you are just directly dealing with dating and possibly romance and, you know, sex and all that stuff. So I think it's a really smart idea to include these sort of at the beginning. Um, and I, I think I came down on the side of like the material realities of the ESRB are, are only related <laughs> to Tyler's choice to use them in dating.sim by like a, a weird quirk of reality. Like I, I think it's just it is a very useful shorthand. And I think a really good thing to do at a table if you were going to play dating.sim. Um, but it's also just, yeah, I also had the thing of like, weird. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to register my, my silence on following up on your previous comment regarding the bringing in of material reality into a criticism. Uh, I'm just going to register that. I'm not going to say anything about that. You know, the point, you, po- you, back to you it. know the point that I am making and you don't even I do. That's why I'm not going to point that I'm making. What you are uh-huh. registering is that you are a very specific type of nerd. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure everybody understands. This was mm-hmm. not disagreement. Mm-hmm. This was, mm-hmm. I am a nerd and have many different mm-hmm. thoughts. 
uh, on the part mm-hmm. of B. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I thought that stuff was pretty fine and cool. Um, I'm kind of just sort of uh, flip flipping through the steno pad and looking at our notes. The I, I thought I there's a lot of stuff around the lead that I think is really interesting. Um, you you also flag some of this stuff, but basically the as a table, you sort of collaborate on who your lead's going to be, right? Like who is the person hosting and like who is like the the focus of the dating game? Yeah, who is the person that is looking for the Correct. date? That's a great way of saying that. Wow, I have had trouble trying to figure out how to talk about the roles in this game. The the book does this no it, yes uh, absolutely <laughs> it does the repeated use of the word lead and yeah. date when when the capital d date is now the lead mm-hmm. um is uh is confusing is. um <laughs> but yeah so you you right so you you make your setting you figure out your your rating and then you sort of collaboratively collaboratively come up with sort of who your lead is and basically you just you need to make somebody who people are going to want to date for various reasons right like let's yeah you collaboratively make the person that all of you have at least some shared interest in dating which is a a smart way to do this absolutely yeah and then i thought it was pretty interesting that like just immediately in the book tyler's like uh some settings may make it so that a dating game doesn't make any sense so you can just make it like a notional dating game which i found really interesting because i was like i don't know is really that you can't i mean i feel like you can make a dating game style thing happen anywhere <laughs> anywhere i the i'm not looking at it directly right now so i'm not going to quote but the um the i thought the example play here which we'll come back to um uh i thought the example play here was like kind of was useful yeah, for that because when i first started i was like that's weird and then then they say like oh our example players are going to make a game <laughs> i think it explicitly says example players which is funny um <laughs> but they're like they're like oh we wanted to do it in a high school but that like that feels a little weird for like actual high schoolers to be in a in a the dating game style scenario so we're just gonna sort of abstract it um i, th- I thought that was a really useful bit of of example play and i wish there was more example play throughout this rather than a big chunk at the end correct i i, um, I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> with that i thought i thought the example stuff in wishlist was um slightly better maybe um oh it's way better <laughs> <laughs> yeah so then then you create your dates so once you have your lead you create your dates so one person will be the lead in round one which means they are basically the person who is choosing the date and they are uh also like the host of if you are doing an actual ga- uh, sort of dating show and then everybody else makes their dates um it's pretty straightforward so mm-hmm. name pronouns any defining features appearance personality etc this is all public knowledge that everybody can know and then um there was a thing that i i mostly thought was like whatever uh you i think think it's cute but basically one of the options in your character creation process is you can roll a six-sided die uh for follower count two six-sided well die. so you you I mean yeah sure i roll it once and then roll it a second time is the way that i was thinking of but yes if you have two six-sided die so yes. you you roll a six-sided die once that's the first digit and then you roll a six-sided die a second time and that's how many zeros come after the first digit that you rolled yes. and that's how many followers that your your date uh character would have on whatever the equivalent of social media would be um, I did. I thought this was neat um, to get. But I mean, it it's sort of wrapping back into the like the dating sim or the um, <laughs> yeah the dating sim side of thing. It, it sort of wraps back in the same way that the ESRB thing wraps back into the 
sort of influences of the game, which I thought was like kind of nice in, in my brain. Um, I think it's I also think it's pretty goofy, but I think it's goofy in a cute way. Cool. And it's just like a nice little bit of flavor that I, I think doesn't, you know, that does a lot for me. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it it is it is the exact sort of thing that I could see being really useful for some folks. And I just I just ended up bouncing off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last thing about creating your, your characters, everybody has to write whether they are quote there for the right reasons or there for the wrong reasons which is a uh i know this because i used to listen to a podcast about the bachelor series Uh, i literally maybe watched two episodes ever but i definitely listened to a podcast about it but yeah there for the right reasons there for the wrong reasons are sort of uh, two pretty common sayings in people who talk about like reality dating kind of stuff right so Okay, so this is like a this is like a fandom term. Uh, uh, yes, that is how I how I understand it is uh, people who get really excited about the Bachelor or whatever. Some people are there for the wrong reasons, and some people are there for the right reasons. There for the right reasons is you're actually looking for like an actual connection and you want to find love or whatever. There for the wrong reasons is whatever you want clout. You're just there for a hookup. You, etc. Okay, this that that helps. I did not have that context personally. I also, so it makes sense that that's sort of an industry term insofar as this, as, you know, criticism is is an industrial practice. Um, I just, there's like a line immediately after that that says, like, without judgment, which best describes your character, which is like, I guess knowing that it's a term, that's an established term, makes it a lot more, makes it make a lot more sense. So it was just like, you're really going to say without judgment when you've just said that the, the thing is for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? Yes. Like, that sounds incredibly judgmental. Yeah, no, without, I think without the context of, like, uh, these being things that people talk about, that would be mm-hmm. baffling. Because, yeah, I think the without judgment is just, like, it doesn't mean your character is uh, necessarily, like, a terrible person or whatever. You don't have to be making, like, a villain. But just, like, really think about the character that you have described. Why are they there? Are they actually there to, like... Again, it doesn't... There for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It doesn't have to mean, like, you're there to murder somebody. It could just mean, like, <laughs> I'm not actually interested in dating anybody, but this seems like kind of a, a weird, fun way to be on television or whatever. Totally. I... Yeah. I... This helps clarify this this helps make this go from a baffling decision uh, in in the writing to when i'm like if if this had passed my copy editing uh, editing desk that i don't have i would be like you sure yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, no i think that's if if you're like really into this then it's fine but i think this conveys things a little weird yeah no, um, I I think yeah I think that's I think that's fair I just I have never been a reality dating show person but I you know I used to yes. listen to podcasts uh, a lot more than I do now cool so then the final part of sort of the like prep is <laughs> I think something we both find really interesting which is this optional mechanic called interest cards yes so basically the 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 way that round one is played is the the lead so uh whoever is playing the lead you set a timer and the lead goes around and and essentially asks the dates either individually or collectively a bunch of questions to try and like figure out who they want to date so interest cards i'm just going to read from the book interest cards are an optional mechanic that gives all players some control over what the lead is attracted to if you'd rather simply let the lead player listen to their heart you can skip this section entirely and the basic idea is if you want to use the interest cards, what you do is every player at the table 
secretly writes a single quality that they want the lead to be interested in on a note card. Like, right, this could this could be if you're a, a player character who's playing one of the dates, this could be something that's like really important for your date character, like a key part of your personality or whatever. It could it could theoretically literally be like I'm playing, a, you know, a, a non-binary seahorse and I and one of these this lead character's interest is like really into seahorse yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely, right? Um <laughs> and then the 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 tw- the twist or whatever, I mean it's not a twist, but like the the clever part <laughs> of this mechanic is you you then shuffle all of those cards together that everybody has written out secretly and the lead draws half of the cards, which means oh sorry, everybody creates two interest cards. Uh Yes. Um, so then you shuffle them all together, and then the lead picks half of them, so one for each person at the table. And that basically becomes a set of interests that the lead is interested in. So it's kind of like it's like a risk-reward thing that's kind of fun. Because if, if you put two cards that are really specific to your character, but they don't get picked, then you could be spending time trying to like answer questions to like point out the fact that like you're this you're this like cool interesting thing that the lead should be interested in but the rest of the like if you're not the lead you don't know what what cards have actually been pulled right like what are the actual interests that are sort of live yes which i think is just re- i think it's just a really clever and cool way of doing it the i mean the alternative is the lead it's kind of just up to the lead it should always be a conversation and collaboration but without the interest cards the lead kind of you know just makes their own call about the, the sort of lead character that has been collaborate collaboratively created but yeah th- that's that's what they are uh, i'm curious if you have m- other thoughts or just want to ramble about interest cards for a while i mean so this is like kind of the this is kind of the center of my read of this game Same. honestly um i think a dating dot sim for me is one that where this is not an optional mechanic this is the core mechanic of this game this is like the most interesting and evocative piece of writing i think in this in this whole book to me like it it, i immediately i'm like oh shit like if i'm playing the lead i get you know i got five people i got 10 cards i have five like very specific or very general like things that i have to like um just fucking like start role-playing that sounds that sounds like a like a really fun role-playing game to me yeah and interestingly it's also it like it also almost kind of makes it almost more explicitly like a party game in some way some ways which i think is cool because i agree like it's also i think it is to me this is the core of what would make dating.sim interesting um to actually play and 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 like as an like the thing it you know that it pings off in my brain is ten candles yeah. right yeah, yeah. Um, when you're doing character setup in ten candles everyone passes uh, or like writes down a a cup I think it's two character traits um, that they like pass to the person on their left I believe is how it's it's been a while since I've read ten yeah, candles I, I think that's right um, but like what this means is one of the players gets to define something about the like the threat of the world in that game. And that has made every game of 10 candles I've played go in wildly different directions than what I was thinking they would go almost all, no, and always in, in really good ways. Um, and that's the kind of thing that like, I could see how this, like the interest cards, if they were like the center of this game rather than an optional thing, 
would be like this would be a very different game is is part of it right because it, since they're optional you can't count on them having happened so the game doesn't really account for interest cards except for to say like here's a neat idea for how to play this game instead of i think there's like one follow-up thing that's like if you used interest cards then uh like check in about them at the end yeah when you're doing the next yeah it's and i would say it's a little stronger than that but i I mean we can actually just we can use we can just get there right now right because like you select a winner so after you've done the interview um you've entered so the lead has interviewed all of the dates um, if you've played with interest cards, you reveal them to the group and collaboratively decide. So these are the, whatever, four interest cards that were actually being used. You collaboratively decide which date do you think fits the best, and the lead gets the final say. Which I think is a, I think is interesting. I like the idea that the person playing the lead gets the final say here, because I think it just makes sense given what you're doing. But I really like that there's like this sort of secret extra bargaining round. <laughs> Uh, if you're doing interest cards where, you know, you actually can get a little a bit of a chance to like sort of explain why actually those interests seem to match pretty well with my date character, to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. if you think about it in this mm-hmm. way, et cetera, et cetera, which mm-hmm. I think is fun. And then if you don't play with the interest cards, uh, basically the lead, it's just up to the lead to choose. And instead of it being sort of collaborative, the lead should just kind of like talk through what their thought process was right what was their decision process which they do they do a gm 100 percent. yeah they do they do a gm (laughs) which i yeah i think is interesting and i think is i mean i i think is the right way to like i totally understand why there would be tables where they don't want to use interest cards i don't think that there those are tables that either you or i would necessarily gravitate towards but i i actually really like the flexibility just like as a system, like as a game that I have purchased and I'm reading, like I think that flexibility is interesting. I could see it working both ways depending on the table. Yeah, hmm. I don't know. Any other thoughts about interest cards? Can can you can you maybe elaborate on that? Which or which is that sort of where you're at? The 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 as a system bit specifically, like why why is this being optional? Like interesting to you and how these things fit together is maybe a way to ask that question yeah totally i mean to me i think it's it's pretty simple it's not i don't have like a big long complicated answer i just i think that there is i think both of the options are cool for different reasons and fit with the game in an interesting way adding interest Mm -hmm. cards in like i had said i think does make it sort of more explicitly like gamified competitive in that there is like explicit hidden knowledge that some folks have and some folks don't i think having the lead not use interest cards and just have it be that player following their heart is in some ways like i was gonna say more real but that's not what i mean i just mean like there's not hidden knowledge aside from the hidden knowledge of people talking to each other right and not being able to know each other completely because the the lead the lead is just going to as tyler crumbine puts it follow their heart right and if they're following their heart there's not really a good way for the the dating the date character players to like jockey in the same way um or the jockeying is sort of like in the moment right during round one of like trying to pick up on on cues and like all that kind of stuff so i think both could be interesting i don't know that i think that dating dot sim would be stronger without it uh without the interest cards or sorry, I don't know that dating.sim would be stronger without the option to not use interest cards necessarily, because I think the overall structure of the game 
I think still works for me. Like, I think it's just still, it's tidy. And I think it would be, I think it's a cool idea, even if I don't necessarily want to play it. I like that there are two, I just like, there are two options, I guess. I think the thing I'm, I'm seeing in the, um, in the interest cards is that uh, a game that is fundamentally, that where that is the, insp- is the inspirational moment. Like that is the, I have this mechanic. I think that game looks a lot different than dating.sim does. Or not, like, completely different, but, like, if you start there and then work out toward a dating game style RPG, where you start with, we have this collaboratively made character who has specific, like, collaboratively made and then um, hidden information elements about them, you probably don't get to... You don't get to what we're about to talk about in, in exactly the same way. And, like, obviously I haven't written this game, so, like, I don't know, I can't, like tell you exactly what I think it would end up being but in my read through of this at least I was like I think if this was if the interest cards were the centerpiece of this game it would be a lot closer to something I would be interested in playing and that is again uh not a thing of me saying like and so that would be a better game this is not a this is not necessarily a piece of criticism but a way of establishing how I approached this game and and uh what reading through it felt like for me, hopefully in the service of, of doing better criticism going forward. <laughs> I think that makes sense. Okay. That all makes a ton of sense to me. And I think, yeah, I think you have also helped me here identify my own thing, which is like, yeah, the part of where I'm coming from is like, that I just deeply don't want to play this oh, game. Oh, <laughs> yeah, fa- yeah, no, absolutely. Uh-huh. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh-huh. this is going to be a recurring theme for us, right? <laughs> which is like, you are almost always going to default to how would I play this? Would I play this? And I just, I just probably like, that's just not where my brain goes. Yeah. And like the way I'm thinking of that at this particular moment is like, I think there is a game that like, I don't know. You, you read the, the pitch up front, right? It's, it's explicitly saying that it's inspired by the, you know, um, the dating game, the TV show and, and dating sim genre, which I, whatever brought that up a couple times i have a complaint about it but whatever no that's actually fine i can just say it right now because it's very short uh i think this is a lot less like a dating sim and a lot more like jackbox like i I don't think this really has any particular dating sim dna in it i see i I think that's i think that's explicitly just like wrong right like literally the mechanics of like visual novelty dating sims are you are essentially acquiring points with people by making choices and you're trying to build up the positive points with the people that you want to try and date. Um, yeah. I That seems to me more like still, like the way this game is written seems to be more like still in line with the, with the dating game, the Bachelor style thing. But I guess if it's gamified and like if there are explicit points, so I guess I guess I can see that. But like to me, this does not this does not read like it had any explicit visual novel reference. <laughs> or um, uh, I mean, to me, I think the 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 interesting thing specifically about round two. So why don't reference. we why don't we say why don't we go to round two? So basically, you pick a, you pick a date, and then in round two the person who created that date character plays that character going on a date with the lead, except this time the lead. So the person who is hosting the dating show, the person who is looking to find a date 
they are played by basically the rest of the table. So the person who played the lead in round one plus the other players who had date characters that did not get chosen. And uh, essentially, it's the the example in the book is, uh, I think it was like a... a a girl dating a prince or something, but um, the way the like yeah. the way round two goes is the uh, player who is playing the date character that won sort of narrates a scene and then gets to sort of like an obstacle or a question or like a what do you do kind of thing. I think the first one was something around about like the prince invited the girl to like a fancy dance uh, sort of like ballroom dancing thing, and you notice that I'm looking kind of nervous. You know how do you what do you do? And then everyone else at the table who is not the date character pitches an idea. And then the date character chooses a winner and says, this is the one that I think makes the most sense and that the date would be most interested in. And then the uh, person who proposed the lead idea that won gets a date point. And essentially at the end of the game, there's like a set a fixed number of rounds. Once you go through those fixed number of rounds, you tally each player's total date points. Uh, and whoever has the most is the winning lead. Uh, and the thing that you win is <laughs> wrapping up the game uh, with the date. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, uh, so yeah, so you, you put this note in that it seems more like a Jackbox thing. The thing that I found kind of interesting about round two and that felt very visual novel-y to me or like dating sim to me was... It, this interesting like uh, almost like reversal of of so when you are playing a dating sim you are basically you are trying to guess or uh, i think most people probably follow guides uh, at this point in the world but to like mm-hmm. get the person that you want to date in the game to like you the protagonist character right and it puts what round two does is it puts the rest of the table in the place of like being the protagonist in a dating sim and the date character is kind of the one who gets to like decide if that gives them like decides which option would have been the right one coded into a dating simulator if that makes sense okay it's sort of in the moment so it's like a i don't know i thought it was kind of like a clever sort of reversal of that where you are not sort of trying to date a bevy of people it's a bevy of people trying to convince this one person like, okay, if, if the date character that won was in a dating sim, what would their path be? <laughs> right? Like what would the choice path of the player be to try and like actually get to date them? Which I thought was kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I hadn't reached that, um, that way of, of thinking about the, the system as, <laughs> as response or narrative um i i want to just very quickly say like the the moment where they describe like that the date character or the player of the character who gets chosen becomes the lead and everyone else becomes the date i was like oh fuck this is cool like just just the raw like oh i have never seen a mechanic like this before and this rules and um I, i think i just didn't get past that part because then the rest of the game started giving me anxiety um uh, just imagining playing it um so so thank you that was a that was a very that was a useful (laughs) element i had not thought about at all in terms of sort of subverting dating sim uh conventions cool Cool. well i think that's most of dating.sim and also 
Uh, it's been like three weeks since we had that conversation <laughs> that the listeners just heard. Uh-huh. It's been a long um, three weeks. It's been a long three weeks. Uh, it's been a long three weeks for a number of reasons. And we're back. Except for you, the listener, we've just always been here uh, because we're never going anywhere. But yeah, so uh, I think we mostly covered everything we wanted to with dating.sim. So I was thinking we just move on to wish lists. Ah. And we already talked, a, like, one of the big things we both, okay. <laughs> Can you hear that? Did you kick an oil drum? What happened there? <laughs> uh, welcome to the neighborhood fireworks. Ah, yes. Right. Just the actual, actual nightmare. Uh, the, that, that three weeks did happen to coincide with the American holiday of Independence Day or the 4th of July. Which uh, I very smartly and wisely chose as the time that we would do the second mm-hmm. recording for this episode. <laughs> I'm a great producer. I just want everyone to know that. Um, uh-huh. I make good decisions. Um, so he's going to figure all that out in the edit. I'm just mm-hmm. going to re-say a few th- of the things I said when my neighborhood exploded briefly. Um, <laughs> which is, uh, let's talk about wish lists. Uh, so the first thing we both kind of flagged that we were interested in was the setting. But I, th- I feel like we've mostly covered that. In our earlier conversation. Yeah. It's got a sort of a stripped down Aladdin feel uh, that's a, better than if it was a full force Aladdin thing. You know, wishes are complicated. Everyone had three of them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just kind of talk through the other stuff we wanted to mention. So I think where we wanted to start was maybe with the character creation um, and maybe even more specifically with character creation and the role of the secretary, which is the sort of GM stylish role. Uh, but I'm going to ask you if you have anything you wanted to talk about with character creation or the secretary in particular to start B. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of what I, I mean, part of it is like sec- uh, character creation is like a big chunk of this game. Like just scrolling through it. It's like kind of, like it's not most of the game but if you incorporate like the union stuff into it that you would presumably do during character creation or like an episode zero or uh, session zero kind of thing it's like it's like a whole lot of the game uh, um like just as as text uh the yeah so i think high level and and Correct me if I'm if I'm misremembering anything. I did reread this in in the last week or so, but it's it's been a long three weeks. High level is basically like you create a character, you give them you know name pronouns, you um you say which which three wishes they had in the last ten years since the event happened, and and um, then sort of as a table you go around and sort of choose whether those were like a high. A, highly effective wish a medium effective wish or a low effective wish yeah this is one of the things that i think is interesting but like also weirdly fiddly in a way um which is that wish one of the one of sort of the truths of this world and wishless is that wishes are they're finicky and weird so you can have yeah like you said a low medium or high success level i do like that the thing you do is the player character who is designing their hunter comes up with the three wishes that they ask for. And then the rest of the table all kind of collaborate on like, well, which one was high, which one was low, which one was medium. That's very fun. And this is maybe a, a, 
a useful place to sort of like step back for me for a second and say like one of the the, the most interesting thing about both of these games and and all of the other Tyler Carmine stuff I've like encountered is um it seems like Carmine's big thing is like sort of encouraging collaborative storytelling as as frequently as possible which yeah like literally like character creation is is collaborative um in that way maybe a little less maybe than something like eh, maybe more even than something like fiasco i don't know sort of maybe on that level where you know you create the uh, relationships between your characters and all that but like um that is both the thing i'm most impressed by in terms of the philosophy i think of of tyler carmine's games and also the thing that i feel like sort of ends up bogging down the pacing sometimes <laughs> when i'm reading it at least i don't i haven't played them so i can't say how, if that would affect the table but like reading through them, i'm like okay so we okay so we're gonna okay we're gonna do this part together also um and then we're gonna go do this other thing and then do okay this part together okay okay this yeah let's do this together also but yeah i think the big thing the big takeaway for me on this with the character stuff specifically is uh once you have your wishes you also have a gig uh, and then you have, like, a background, and what is it exactly? You end up, like, with... So you have three you have three fulfilled wishes. So every hunter has, has used their three wishes, and those are the low, medium, high. And then every hunter has two gigs. And a gig is, is yes. basically, like, so, yeah. yeah, like a background. So th- uh, two gigs. So gigs are your background. Uh, you could think of them like jobs or, like, professions. But the idea is uh, the timeline of Wishlist is the source of all the wishes. Uh, there was an event that happened. And so that happened. That is a, a point in time. And that event is where all the wishes went out. And then there's a 10-year gap between the event and when you are playing the game Wishlist. So why don't we talk a little bit about the secretary then? Because the secretary is also... Uh, everything we have just said also applies to the secretary, uh, which is interesting. So the the way that you sort of create your background is through these wishes and these gigs, right? They give the characters like the flavor or whatever. And the secretary, who is supposed to be sort of like the GM-ish character, basically just also makes an entire character sheet, like mm-hmm. a, they were a player character. Um, and the reason for that be is because one of the interesting things and one of the ways to sort of think about this game as a way to like have a campaign or sort of a longer running thing as opposed to a one shot is the secretary role can kind of switch around. Mm -hmm. And in fact, seems to be sort of encouraged to to do that because so you're all hunters at the hunter's union and you're all hunting down wishes. So the secretary is more of like a role that a, a, a hunter will play on a given day. And... Sort of like in the world of yes, the game, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying, right? It Mechanically speaking, uh, the secretary is pretty different, meaning that the way that you... So like very briefly, the way that you generate missions in this game is uh, the secretary, whoever's playing the secretary, calls all of the hunters together at the hunters union. And in character, you all kind of like bring up your leads that you've gotten. So... Everybody sort of contributes a lead, and then the secretary reads them out character, and you have a conversation, again, in character, about which of the leads seems most interesting. You then, as a group, select one. That lead then becomes your mission, and then the way that the mission gets developed is ultimately up to the secretary, um, to your earlier point. It is encouraged that you 
basically like collaboratively suggest to the secretary even if you're a player character like okay we're gonna go look after whatever we've heard about a bunch of wishes in some goblin village so we're gonna go to the goblin village and we're gonna look into those wishes and so you kind of just collaboratively go like well what kind of things would we run into in the goblin goblin village and the secretary can take notes and then those kind of turn into the obstacles that are where the actual like dice mechanics and the the checks and stuff come in but I, uh, to your earlier point, I think it's really cool. The, the focus on not it, inversion is like a very sp- specific word, I guess. But like, I think one of the things that Tyler does really well in the games he writes is turn some things either on their head or like slightly off kilter by doing the thing that you sort of narrated when you were talking about this, right? Which is kind of like, you go through and if you've read tabletop games, you know, like, okay, and then you blah, blah, blah. But like in Wishlist, there's the point at which all, the rest of the table gets to tell you which of your wishes was successful versus kind of a failure. Which is like, that's like letting people put their fingers in the pie of your character. Like that's kind of cool and also like a little wild. And then same thing with the secretary. I think it's very cool that the players can collaborate on what the mission might look like, but it's uh, it's essentially up to the secretary to then take or leave any of those suggestions and kind of come up with cool obstacles for the hunters to go yes. after. And I think um, to sort of maybe step into your shoes a little bit more, more than mine, um, it's, it's kind of a thing I really appreciate about the, just reading, you know, both dating sim, dating.sim and wishlist, right? is imagining somebody who's, you know, got some familiarity with like D&D or maybe like an apocalypse world system or whatever. The way that Crumbine like lays these things out very explicitly is I think a, a very useful way for somebody who maybe hasn't played a bunch of like much more like freeform kind of role-playing to see the possibility of yeah, being able to just be like, oh yeah, we can kind of just like step, like if you hadn't read Fiasco, I can see not being able to just being like, oh, yeah, character creation is always sort of a solo thing. You, you know, you might as well do it, you know, before we even sit down at the table. And and I think it's useful to just have examples of interesting games that, you know, reinforce collab- collaborative storytelling, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, and I kept thinking about like when I like way back 9000 years ago before we recorded <laughs> the first part of this episode. I almost like in my head I started thinking about these as like really good intro RPGs but I didn't want to use that language so I'm glad we're having this conversation so I can I can explicate this thought cuz like I don't mean that they're dumbed down like I don't I think there's a lot of I mean we've talked about both of these for we're going to yeah. talk about them for a long time like I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in both of these systems but th- they are laid out in such a way that I think it's like a really fun way of seeing how like seeing the breadth of what kind of like what tabletop could do without i mean like there's a there is a sense in which for instance looking at something like whatever i think of something super super involved and complicated in terms of rpg systems your your pathfinders that's like very your pathfinders it's very cool to be like oh wow you can do all of these different things right and or like go in like the weirder direction and stuff like Mm -hmm. burning wheel which you know caveats for burning wheel in some ways but like it's such it is yeah 100 percent. it is such a crazy and wild and interesting take on 
what these things can be. And like Tyler's work is like in the mm-hmm. opposite direction, right? It's like, here's a little thing. And I'm going to like kind of walk you through ways of thinking about how to like both interact at the table and like prioritize at the table. And there's stuff there there for people who've like played a lot of games or read a lot of games. And there's also stuff there for people who are really new. Um, and like you said, I think in, in general, it feels like the focus is always on getting people to work together to tell stories as opposed to the more sort of atomized approach that some games kind yes. of are written and, in. Um, yeah. which is and very, the secretary is, a, is cool. a perfect example of this, right? And specifically the way that the game yeah. repeatedly says like, Hey, you're going to, you're gonna level up your your secretary character because you're just because you know it's the anti forever GM sort of um, mechanic in Correct. a weird way. It's just like yeah. not only like should you not have to be the the GM in perpetuity for this game or for like you know for all games that you run, you you don't even have to keep GMing this one. Uh, one of your one of your party members could just jump into that role. You'll you'll have a fully set up character, even if you've been doing it for you know two sessions or four years or whatever. Um, but that does also I don't know I've kind of yeah. There's that also runs into some issues I might have with game balance a little bit here. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. So why don't we quickly talk about the mission creation stuff, just because I think that also gives us a chance to talk about the advancement. And then let's get to the Mm -hmm. big meaty topic, (laughs) which is, is this game even remotely balanced? A question Uh from B. I think I have a Uh, special advancer. I'm sure you you do. Um, So we've talked about the character creation. So you have however many hunters you have. You have your secretary. You all work at the hunters union. And I've already talked about this a little bit. But basically mission creation is this collaborative process. So everybody at the table puts in, everybody contributes one lead. And basically all of, everybody then starts kind of role playing through the secretary, reading them out, discussing whether they think it's interesting, and then voting on which one they would actually like to follow up on. Uh, Whichever lead wins, whoever identify or whoever contributed that lead is supposed to sort of talk through it and say like, oh, well, I was thinking blah, blah, blah. But then, as I've already discussed, right, the whole table can basically talk. Secretary can take notes of like, well, what do we think? And this is all out of character, right? This is all like, okay, well, why don't we kind of collaboratively just like plan our session tonight? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is very cool because, again, thinking about this in terms of like as a way to get people into tabletop games, if you're very afraid of GMing, this is a great way to basically start facilitating um, and GMing a group uh, mm. via this game because you don't have to be the first one to be secretary, but you could be the third one to be secretary. And even if you're still a little nervous, again, assuming you're at a table with people you like and are friends with, you could just say, I'm a little nervous about this, so can we just spend a little more time on brainstorming? Like, There's a lot of really, I think, good things that good table talk could help with here and that this is a pretty cool framework for getting people into things. Anyway. I... um. <laughs> uh quick objection oh great or not like complete objection i actually agree with what you said um i think saying blanket in a blanket way that this is like a good way to introduce somebody to jamming is uh as somebody who has been playing a lot of a game where you roll to set up like the the first thing you do is roll to set up the the mystery in in the case of the the true de- or true detective uh rude detectives game that i'm i've been running 
if you're not prepared to improvise heavily around um a thing like if you if you're the kind of person who needs some like quiet time to sit down and like work through some stuff before just jumping in direct into improv that can be pretty um it can be pretty exhausting (laughs) honestly um and yeah oh well, so let me be clear. I don't think that wishlist is the best way to introduce yeah. somebody to GMing necessarily, but I do think that the way that the mission creation works is a, a good model for thinking about how to help yes, somebody. Yes, I think ease that's into completely it. correct. And and I think like with certain players, especially people who are much like much looser with what they're doing, or much more inclined toward improvisation and like stakes escalation and stuff like that i think this could be like this could be the thing that unlocks them their ability to gm um and stuff like that but yeah yeah just for sure kind of yeah but yeah i don't like no i yeah and i think that's a good uh, that's a good i i was probably not as clear with my language which is like i i think there's something really interesting about specifically the secretary role and the mission creation and the secretary's role in mission creation that like is a fun model to use to think about uh, other approaches. Um, I do think wishlist could be fun. Again, I, I mean, I do think there the there is something to Tyler's games that have really highlighted for me how important for at least these two ones that we've read uh, the the table that you're at is going to matter a lot, like for sure, be, because it's so focused on collaboration. And I don't that's not like a good thing or a bad thing. It's just an observation that thinking about the way wishlist would feel with like some of my friends who might be vaguely interested in tabletop versus others. Like it, it just, I could see it going yeah. so wildly differently, but in general, I'm, I'm pretty positive on the mission creation stuff. I think it's cool. Um, and then the final part of the mission creation is when you, so whatever you have your eight missions or I guess it would be like four or five missions. The eight would be mm-hmm. a very <laughs> large table. Uh, your four or five leads, you pick one that becomes the mission for that session. All of the leads that you've come up with that day in that sort of session uh, get a difficulty rating of 12. It I believe. starts at 12. Yeah. And so to very briefly talk through the advancement stuff, which um, I think we're both semi-aligned on which is like it's neat uh so basically uh difficulty ratings all missions will have a difficulty rating so essentially uh oh yeah you're right i so i said this incorrectly i'm now just staring at the pdf yeah Yeah, so the mission that wins uh that you decide is your mission that gets a difficulty rating of 12 the other leads that you generated that first day they all immediately get a 13 and so the idea is as leads get older, so let's say you do three sessions, you might have a couple of leads from your first session that are suddenly 15 instead of 12. So every session you generate leads, the lead that turns into a mission gets a difficulty of 12. Anything, Any lead that exists gets a mission, uh, gets their difficulty bumped up one, and then the uh the passed over leads from that session get 13. This is probably way too long to be spending on this, but the idea here is that you're kind of generating this like pool of things that you can like go through as hunters um, to pull from. And the longer you let a lead sit, the harder it's going to be to then track it down, which makes sense. Um, And uh, I think this is a useful time to say that like the way this book is written is pretty clear that you're doing like one, one session per lead basically yeah each session it is assumed that you will likely do one mission you will generate leads for every person at the table but you only actually run or maybe even theoretically like two missions per lead but you're never 
it seems like you're never supposed to like break a session and come back um, based on how it's written, just like very specific sentence structure and stuff like that in this book. Um, so like theoretically, if you had four hunters um, and you played five sessions, you would have what, like 15 outstanding leads? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's it seems like it, it can uh, snowball in a, in a really interesting way where you're like, Oh yeah, we should go investigate that rumor we like uh, that you know BW made up on in session one that we've forgotten about, and all of a sudden you're at a twenty difficulty rather than a base twelve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and what's interesting t- too to me about this is that that at first I was like, well, that kind of sucks because then like, are you ever going to get to those? But then I then I thought about the uh, what what advancement is. So in terms of character advancement, basically every time you complete a mission, that becomes another gig uh, on your character mm-hmm. sheet that you have done that you can then pull from to do the thing you can do with your gigs, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which probably means it's about time <laughs> for B to talk about some dice. Yeah. Um... So, conflict in this game. There's, uh, uh, the way it's set up, and I'm, I'm not going to cite any specific phrasing here because I don't have it, like, marked down, but um, high level is a, the uh, secretary presents you an obstacle, you sort of describe what you're doing to overcome it, and then you roll two six-sided dice. Uh, the first one you roll is the first digit in your, you know, action and the second one you roll is the second digit so uh you can roll anything from uh two ones which would give you an 11 um to two sixes which would give you a 66 or you know any any combination thereof so if you rolled you know uh four and a two you'd have a 42 then basically i'm gonna table plot wagers we can talk about that later oh yeah, no, I yeah, I think I think let's talk about the just general thing yeah. first. Yeah. At that point, the secretary player will then also roll 2d6 um using the same sort of uh structure and compare the two. If the secretary rolls higher, you basically fail. Uh if the hunter rolls higher, you succeed. Um there is basically one other mechanical element here other than plot wagers, which we will again get to in a moment you can flip your dice so if you rolled a two and a three and then the secretary rolled a four and a one wait this is a bad example uh if you rolled a two and a four and the secretary rolled a three and a one that would mean you have a 24 against the secretary's 31 you lose that roll oh no but <laughs> If you have a relevant wish or um, gig, you uh, you can make the argument that because you have this background, you actually can flip your dice. So I've already forgotten. I think I said a, a two and a four. So yeah, that would be if you flipped your dice because you had a relevant wish or gig, you would then have a 42 beating the secretary's 31. This is basically what all gigs and wishes do. What each adding, what adding each of them does, is basically give you more opportunities to argue that you have some relevant skill or background here, and so are therefore able to flip your dice. Does that seem like a, a fairly um, decent description, BW? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's uh, basically yeah. You you are. Both the player and the secretary are rolling 2d6 
that comes up with their score. You compare the scores. Uh, the player can flip after rolling if they uh, are able to convince the secretary that a gig or a wish is relevant um, to try and make the rolls better. I think that's kind of it. That's like the that is the basic sort of conflict mechanic of the game. You come up with a mission. Once you start going out on that mission, the secretary will start suggesting obstacles, and then hunters sort of suggest things that they want to do and roll the dice in the way we've described. So I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. So here's where my thing comes in. Uh, um, I've played. Um, I've, I've listened to some lasers and feelings. Um, I've played a lot of Rude Detectives. Uh, uh, game that is just a hack of lasers and feelings i i feel like i've played some other relevant games but i'm I'm blanking right now here's the thing that happens and maybe this is just me being a very squishy you know gm or whatever rude detectives asks if you're prepared or if the role you're about to do uh relates to your talent you just have those two things um and the way that rude detectives works you get you get one dice because you're doing it then you get to ask those two questions. Each one, if they are relevant, gives you an extra die. And then you roll those dice. Starting with two things means I almost always end up... It is almost always the case that a character in one of my games ends up rolling two dice. Often the case they end up rolling three because you're playing your character. You're playing your character to your strengths, right? If you're starting out with three wishes and two gigs, you're starting out with five disparate things <laughs> that could all be relevant to any given role and you're playing your character to their strengths in any way whatsoever i can't imagine a situation where i can i can imagine a situation where so the secretary would shut you down but like i can't imagine a situation where you're not at least arguing every single time and probably successfully which makes the advancement kind of meaningless if you're just adding another way to argue for a thing that you start out with like five different prongs of attack <laughs> already open to you. It's, I don't know. It, it seems a little weird to me. So I I don't actually think you have five things really is, is one thing I will say, right? Because I think this is where the wishes getting ranked into their success helps a lot because the, the efficacy of your low wish, like it's not necessarily going to, be super helpful often because it's essentially it's a it's a thing that was broken right and because of the way in the early part of this game tyler really focuses on you know you want to really think about the sort of classical genie trope of you ask for a thing and you get some weird like messed up version of it right So I I think there's like, I think it's probably you're looking at more like three and a half ish with a couple things that are weird. So that's one thing. The other thing is if I was playing this game, for instance, I would really emphasize to myself and the other people at the table that like, like the thing you're describing B is like power gaming and like somebody could power game wishlist, but like. I don't know. Part of me is just like, okay, well, I, why I, are you doing this? <laughs> I don't. I don't think I'm describing power gaming. Actually, I think I'm describing. I, I think what I'm describing is actually a lot closer to a narrativist approach to to pull Ron Edwards oh, in. I didn't mean. I, what I am saying is, I, the thing you are describing only feels true to me at a table where people are trying to make characters that are meant to solve problems. 
as opposed to creating a character that like is a character like that's the thing is like i just don't share your intuition that i mean even just looking at the the example in the book like two of her wishes were explicitly about her being a race car driver that works if there's a car involved in the hunt that you're on but otherwise i don't know that that's true i feel like the 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 thing you are bringing up could be a problem but to me it feels like like i don't know you'd have to stretch really far to to make every single thing on your sheet relevant to hunting a mission uh to like hunting on that mission um especially when you're all kind of collaboratively coming up with what those missions are sort of on the spot yes um so i feel i feel like it just it's not going to be as tightly linked i also think that the gigs are like i i would probably think that they should be somewhat constrained i don't remember what the book actually says in terms of what the examples were right but like i don't know like if somebody at my table was like well my gig was i was the best uh murderer of all time it's like okay well that's not true come on <laughs> like <laughs> this is that this just doesn't make sense uh like it should really be about like what was your profession what did you do so i i guess i just i'm i'm unconvinced by the idea that if you have five things, you would you would suddenly always have a an answer um, to be able to flip. Like it just doesn't seem true to me. But maybe I'm wrong. I think I, don't I know. think I'm phrasing this poorly. Um, and I think I can I think I can take another stab at this, and maybe I maybe it'll be clearer what I'm what I'm getting at. I don't. I'm not. I don't think it's like <laughs> the power gaming thing kind of threw me because I think I I was thinking about this in a very very different way. I wasn't thinking of it as like oh, everyone's going to sit down and make the most, you know, versatile character possible such that they can always win the argument or whatever. I was thinking, when you're doing things like creating gigs and and wishes, what you're doing is flagging to your GM what you're interested in. And so, as a GM who's interested in following up with players' flags, I, if somebody makes a character who's a race car driver, I'm probably going to push towards there being cars in the scenario. Because, like... That person said, hey, I really like it when the my character does car stuff, and I like want their character to be having uh, the kind of fun that they want to have at the table. The issue isn't so much that, you know, every single time everyone's going to be able to, to flip the dice. It's that the advancement is just an, an adding of more ways to fl- flip the dice, so it's just like just an accumulation of flags, I guess, in a weird way in my brain, more than a, in an issue with power gaming. It's just like, here is all of the things that you should throw into the stew that we're making together to like, to best, you know, have fun at the table together. And, and I just, I, I, mean, I don't know, it just doesn't like, I don't know, I don't have an alternative you know, advancement system here to to suggest or anything like that. Just reading it was like, oh, this seems like a, this seems like a mess of like, here's all the things I want to be able to do. Let's start with five each (laughs) and keep adding to them. Yeah, I I guess I just, uh, I, I feel like there's enough sort of like weird things in the game itself that like, in a game like Lasers and Feelings, it is literally always a positive to be able to f- 
to get a, another die, right? Like, there's no way that's bad. Mm-hmm. That uh, you there are going to be many roles in which flipping your die does nothing for you in this game, which to me feels like a interesting mechanical way of like you might be able to say that you have a a relevant thing for this, but like you rolled a twelve. <laughs> And the secretary rolled a 43. Like, no matter what, you're just losing. Which, to me, feels like a, a good way of letting the dice sort of help you through some of that stuff. I also think, and this is, this makes a ton of sense to me, but you are absolutely thinking about this as a GM. Yes. And I think one of the things that Wishlist does well is encourage nobody at the table to do that. Meaning... What you're doing is you're coming up with cool obstacles for the mission when you're the secretary. You're not, actually. This is not a game necessarily about paying attention to your players' flags because we're all players. So if you tried to run a game of Wishlist where you be were the secretary for three months, I totally agree. I think that would end up being a slightly weird table, <laughs> right? But if you're rotating and everybody is switching up, I bet most people at that table are not going to have everybody else's character sheets memorized, which also ends up meaning that sometimes the collaboration could be like, there's like a sort of weird sneaky thing about the collaboration on the mission suddenly that I hadn't thought through. Right. But like suddenly that's an interesting wrinkle. Why is B recommending that, you know, whatever we go to a boat cruise (laughs) Oh, wait, B's character was a boat captain, <laughs> right? Like, and in that case, I don't even think that's bad. Like, I think that can kind of be fun. But I do think the issue you, uh, like, yes, your sec- your second explanation made uh, 100% sense to me. I get it completely. And I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I just think it would mostly come up in situations that are slightly orthogonal to, I think, how Tyler is sort of intending the game to be played, which that's not bad or good in terms of what you're saying, right? But- that's that's just my read on it. But I do also just think there's enough weirdness in like three of your uh, the things on your character sheet. At least one of them's probably going to be pretty shitty because that that will be your low wish. And I think enough of like there's enough stuff there that it won't it wouldn't necessarily always feel to me like everybody has a thing. It definitely would could get very overwhelming after six months or even four weeks if you were the GM and you were only playing secretary. I 100% agree with that. <laughs> that that sounds overwhelming uh, and not fun. Um, yeah, should we should we talk about hitting the lead or plot wagers maybe? So let's talk about plot wagers then because I think plot wagers also somewhat complicates just <laughs> the game, I guess, I guess is one <laughs> way of saying it, uh, but also complicates the even the flipping right like Uh what the flipping is for and when you might want to try and flip plot wagers are where some of the math and dice math starts to get a little overwhelming in this book so we've already talked about what the challenge is right so the secretary is like going to the goblins but you don't know where the goblins are oh no so how are you going to find those goblins? And then hunters all say their things. Secretary picks a person. You roll 2d6. That's your first digit, second digit. So that's what the hunter does, right? Before the secretary rolls any dice, I'm reading here from the book. Yes. 
either player can propose a plot wager. So what a plot wager does is it guarantees a specific like narrative beat or outcome, regardless of whether a specific role succeeds or fails, provided that there be there there has to be one of these two things true. So remember, what has happened is we're trying to find the goblin village, right? In my cool example, mm-hmm. the hunter has rolled their two d6s to challenge the secretary's obstacle, and they have their two digits. Before the secretary rolls, the hunter goes, I want to propose a plot wager. Uh, The hunter has to agree either that they will not flip their roll. So whatever the two digits are, their first and second digit are locked in. Or they have to allow the secretary to roll and then decide whether or not they want to flip their roll. So you have to decide on one of these things, right? And... It, it basically, th- that's the decision for the plot wager is either the hunter is agreeing to not flip their role or the secretary is uh, allowed to consider flipping theirs if they think it makes sense. The They can be initiated by either side, uh, but, but everybody has to agree. Basically, the outcome of this, right, is you then just do the dice rolls and the checks as normal. Whatever that check is for, so finding the goblin village, right, if... The hunter who rolled to try and find the goblin village still like gets lower than the secretary, even with the plot wager. They may not find the goblin village, but whatever their wager was, right? So like the hunter says, I don't really care about finding the goblin village because what I really care about is some other fantasy thing that I can't come up with right now. Finding a real hot goblin dude to date. (laughs) I want to date a goblin dude. That's the thing I care about most. And so you roll the dice and in fact, you don't find the goblin village, but... Because of the plot wager, no matter what the hunter rolls and whether they succeed or fail, they will get to find a hot goblin dude to date. Yes. So basically what what a plot wager does is it allows the hunter or the secretary to change sort of the stakes of what uh, of who might win or lose um, and takes away or gives right somebody the power to try and change the dice. Um, so if you're the hunter, what it means is you're making it probably more likely that you're going to fail. But you get this other thing that you care about, which is cool. I think it's cool. I think it's yeah. complicated. <laughs> I think um, I've, I've been sort of thinking about this as I've, as I've, as you were doing your very able and, and wonderful, uh, <laughs> description of plot wagers i just kind of realized that like if i was if i was listening to someone else talk about this i might at this point be like you know they kind of really like skipped over all of the discussion of like what are the consequences for failure and i don't think we have i think we have (laughs) said as much about the consequences for failure in this game as the book has correct Um, the book is not at all particularly interested in giving you like a any sort of secretarial guidance on you know there's not like there's not powered by the apocalypse style hard moves suggested anywhere there's not there's there isn't even any discussion of like fail forward or anything it's basically just like if the secretary wins then then one thing happens if the if you win then another thing happens and and etc (laughs) etc there's no like modeling of that really i think there's a one little thing yeah it's just like, uh, yeah, you didn't do it if you fail, I guess. 
Or you could be, depending on who's who's in the secretary chair that night, it could be it could be a, an incredibly fail forward game. It could be a that you know typical sort of D and D like, oh well, they didn't they, <laughs> this hunter didn't succeed, and I don't I don't have any grounding in fail forward stuff. So I guess the next person will just make the perception check or whatever. Like I, there's just no modeling of how how confrontation failure works really. Um, yeah, no, it it's not really it's not really mentioned uh, almost at all. Yeah, and it's it's the game doesn't care about it, and that's like totally Correct. fine. Yeah, <laughs> um, but adding this plot wager system on top of that seems seem again. It's really cool. It's it's kind of I just can't quite wrap my brain around it. <laughs> yeah, for some so reason. I mean, I think this is where it's it's really interesting. I came away from system does matter mm-hmm. the article we read in our first episode mm-hmm. and and had a pretty knee-jerk like negative reaction to the very common thing in the forge of like it of you need to have played nine thousand games otherwise you uh-huh. don't really know what you're talking about and blah blah yep, blah yep. and as a person who mostly doesn't play these days and is mostly interested in games as like f- fun mechanics boxes that i can kind of pick through and look at and think about i i, I was really struck and this is kind of just the point I've already made, but I was really struck with both of these games by how much I, I've read the entire game of blades in the dark. And when I actually went to play blades in the dark and had a, however many month long off and on campaign of blades in the dark, there weren't a lot of surprises. There were like, I mean, there were a lot of surprises. There were very cool, like narrative story surprises. There were like really fun moments talking with, you know, playing with my friends, but I knew how the game worked. Like I've the, it, the system felt very, very complete. And this definitely has more holes in it, I would say, mm-hmm. which I don't see as a negative in any way, shape, or form. Because Not even a little bit. No. Yeah, yes, right? Like I, like, I think Tyler has done a really fascinating job of, like, giving enough that you know what the game will do, but also leaving a bunch of room. I think he's done a great job of giving people... Enough that they can really get a sense of what the game will be, but they he's not defining every single moment, which I think is both good and challenging for maybe a new group or whatever. But mostly, I just think, as a person who primarily reads things, I find his games fascinating to read, but I've mm-hmm. also become very convinced that, like, so, like, the, the very last thing, uh, it could just sort of see us there, uh, but the very last thing to talk about in... Wishlist is a great example of a thing that when I'm reading it, I, I'm a little baffled by. But I feel like if I was just sitting at a table and had dice in front of me with people or even in roll 20, it would just make sense. Which is like, how do you actually like complete the mission? And completing the mission is mostly, I think, pretty straightforward, right? You, I talked about the difficulty rating. Basically, the secretary takes the two dice that they've rolled against the hunter and you add them together, the two digits. You add them together to get one number and you compare that to the difficulty rating. Yes. I'm, I'm not looking at this. <laughs> I am doing it from memory. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is every time that the secretary rolls under the difficulty rating, the difficulty rating lowers by one. Yep. And so then the goal is to get to a place where the secretary, when resolving an obstacle against a hunter gets to a place where the two digits combine two times to be higher than the difficulty rating of the the mission. And then you win. 
Yes. Um, there's an important. Th- I think it's um, it's equal to or under. You. Oh, is still, it? Okay. Yeah. I I that, I'm, I have the page open, but I don't actually see that on the page. But that's my memory because specifically that's why you would start at a twelve as a default, so that yes, you yes, can't correct. Have, you can't immediately uncover the truth. It could happen. It could happen in two rolls. But then there's the other thing is that. The first time the secretary rolls, the secretary's dice add up to roll over the difficulty late level is the, is, it's a section called Uncover the Truth. And so this is basically when you stop being mysterious about what's happening and you just go, so here's what you're actually doing. Like, this is what the actual mission is. You have, you have gained enough knowledge and have had an ex- enough experience to be like, okay, this is, this is what we're actually going for. There's no more red herrings. And then the second time it rolls over is just, you win. You um, win. Go home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. I had for actually, I had kind of forgotten about the first one. So yeah. Th- yeah. There's, there's basically, you're trying to beat it twice because there's kind of two phases to winning. And then just to, just to wrap up the game very quickly, since we're already here, then you do the two things we've already talked about, which is, well, the one thing actually you already, we've already talked about, which is all of the players, including the secretary, once you complete the mission, you add a gig that sort of references that mission, right? And so that becomes another thing you can draw on when making the case that you can switch your dice. It, it, I think it's fine. I don't have like issues necessarily with this, but like this is the kind of thing that when I read it, I'm a little like, okay, okay. And then, oh, yeah, okay, wait, what? And the thing I really struggled with, which I think you and I have talked about not on the pod, is just, like, having a sense of what this would actually feel like to play is pretty hard for me, which, again, for something like Blades in the Dark wasn't super hard. I think just because it's so much more, I mean, it's just everything is laid out in a lot of ways. But but both plot wagers and, like, sort of finishing the mission are things that when I read about them, I was like, well, that's clever. Including mm-hmm. the, th- the thing about difficulty ratings going up as the leads get longer. Like that's, I think yeah. that all works together and is clever. I don't know if I would think it's fun to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, that's not, that's not like, it's I'm not trying to cast aspersions or anything. I just, I'm not sure genuinely. I mean, you made this point just a minute ago, but like when I'm, when I'm imagining playing this game, this game looks fucking wildly different table to table for me yeah like yeah and even within the same table makeup depending on who's secretarying right like because just as a as a very quick example right the way secretarying is talked about is like you said you are basically just thinking up obstacles i could see playing at a table where the secretary basically just goes here's your obstacle let's roll on it here's the consequences here's your next obstacle let's roll on it like it's just a i could see boom 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 yeah going through a mission in 30 minutes 45 minutes um that would could never be me (laughs) that is that would just not be i might be interested in playing at that table once or twice but like that's just not how i run shit i want i want to tell more of a story or like give people opportunities for other things and, and you know be long-winded as one might say <laughs> um and like and i think that this game that that style of, or how the secretary has talked about supports that absolutely i could see like i said i could see playing through a whole mission in this game in 30 minutes with that with one kind of secretary i could see taking 30 minutes to get to your full, first role with a different kind of secretary a, a lot of this is really 
yeah, just really, really dependent on table, which is is true of all games, but feels especially true of something, I guess, at this level of specificity, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Which is kind of a fun way of going to one of the last things we wanted to talk about, which is, well, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about System Does Matter then? Um, We read, so we read it many, many weeks ago um, (laughs) at this point, and... I don't know that we've ever I don't know that we've ever stated this at any point in the podcast, but we we pretty explicitly when we talked about what we wanted to do in terms of format, we the idea was we choose things and basically you B can could kind of choose a theory thing to sort of respond to a system if you wanted, and I could pick a system to respond to the theory thing, but we have no interest in, I think in like tying them together necessarily exactly explicitly. Yeah. But in this case, since I did kind of pick two two systems in part with the, the idea of a uh, system does matter in mind, I'm curious if did it did it affect your reading in any way, shape, or form? Uh, I have my answers, but I'm curious for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think the the real thing with this particular essay, and and I, I went back and forth on on choosing system does matter as the opener for the, for this particular reason, which I'm about to lay out. Which is like, I think going forward, I'm not interested in being like, here's, you know, canonical texts in RPG theory in the same way. Like, I am I want to keep doing those, but I'm planning on interspersing them with like blog posts and shit like that. Like, more recent stuff, less known stuff, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. The, the answer to this is kind of like, of course system does matter, like, interact, er, inter, if, interfered is what I almost said there. <laughs> um, um, had had some effect on how I read Tyler Carmine's games because it has some effect on how I read everything because I've read it at a really formative period. And I don't think that's the explicit arguments made in System Does Matter. I don't think those actually um, mattered <laughs> to me. Um, not, like nothing about like how best to judge a game or, you know, what type of game of system it is in terms of the gns stuff none of that really uh affected me what did affect does affect me is like the implicit arguments i think mainly that that the forge is a whole sort of built towards which is like you should you should make a game and you should self-publish it i think those are you know the absolute core of the argument here which is like no you can't just have an idea and then use an existing system you if you have an idea that doesn't fit an existing system you have to make the system for it to work that of course informs my ability to read games and and think about them as systems um and i I guess that's like the major thing is just like yeah oh well i guess it's also like the (laughs) on some level i don't entirely believe that system matters on some level i am the caricature that ron edwards puts forward at the beginning of that essay the like the gm bob or whatever the name he gives is um i don't have system matters up or system does matter up and i'm not gonna yeah same uh bob bob sounds right well let's go with bob i like it they're like there's the bit at the very beginning that's like, oh, my GM Bob is is like so such a good GM that he can run anything, any kind of game in any system, and it's going to be fun. And like, there's part of me that's like, y- yeah, <laughs> um, that's accurate. Uh, like, 
for me, the thing is more structure than system um, in terms of like, you know, whether it's a, a, a traditional GM high prep kind of game versus a low prep GM'd game versus a no GM or GM full game. Like those are the things that actually like, those are the choices that I think are most, most affect me as a, as a person who runs games and uh, thinks about them and plays in them. And, and that aspect of me pushing back against system does matter a decade ago when I read it and thinking and it having me think about structure was very forefront of mind in in these two games um, because of the way that you know the secretary is a is a role that can be switched between in very explicit ways as opposed to implicitly like it is in all other games right I've taken over a long-running game of D&D became the DM even though I wasn't a player because the DM moved out of town and like, of course, you can do that in any system, but the system making it um, an explicit part of the whole is is a very different thing. It's similar to dating sim, dating dot sim, where um, you you know still still fucked up on the like terminology there, but like the lead character become or is taken over by the person who wins the first round or is like is chosen the first round and then the, yeah all the all the weird machinations where you don't play the same character the entire time or the scene framer is is shifted those those things were really interesting to me in a way that really spoke to me as a person who cares a lot about how you structure play in terms of like who's in control at any given moment who has the, who's supposed to be you know facilitating um, so that was that was sort of my thoughts. I don't know what's what are where where were you at? I I mostly agree with a lot of what you said in in terms of the the first part. I mean, I, so of course it affected how I read these things just because you know I'm, we're making a podcast and we read it for the first episode. <laughs> the two things I really came away from reading Wishlist and Dating Sim after reading System Does Matter. The two things I really came away from uh, those games and that the piece were that. I wish that there was a version of System Does Matter that was written by somebody who wasn't trying to advance the argument that system matters because I have this view of how role-playing works and the correct way to do it, and it yeah. matters. Like, there's so much in just that very—it's a very short article. There's so much in there just in terms of, like, frameworks and language that, like— if not from a polemical place, I think could be really useful. And I, I found myself really frustrated that I was, like— I felt like I could use some language, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to quote system does matter. Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, like for a number of reasons, like for one, it's like not a rich enough text to like use as a, a as like a, a way to, I don't know, but mostly like, I don't agree with it, right? Like I, I don't agree with almost any of the points that he makes. Um, So it did make me want to read more theory stuff because I feel like having some, some more concrete language would be really helpful. Um, And the other thing is, like, I started thinking a little bit about, right, I brought this up at the end of the wishlist talk, right? Like, I don't, I, I don't have a good sense of if I feel actually playing wishlist would be fun. And mm -hmm. for half a second, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I should actually do the part two of System Does Matter thing and talk about, what was it? I did actually go and look for it. Uh, so fortune, karma, drama, and then... Those are the three methods for resolving a thing. Okay, well, which one is this? Okay, well, then let's look at search time and handling time. And I was just like, like that, those are ways of trying to get at a thing that I am interested in about wishlist. I have zero belief that 
trying to talk about search time and handling time would actually be useful in helping me understand whether wishlist would be fun to play. And this is where it's, it gets weird because this is where I start to agree with Ron, which is like, if I want to know if wishlist is fun to play, the only way to know that is to play it. I do agree with that, right? Like the only way to know if playing a role-playing game is fun is to play the role-playing game because you, the question is, is it fun to play this? Like that's, that's just literally the way to solve that experiment is to play the game. Yeah. But I like I don't then extrapolate from that anywhere other than if my question is, it would it be fun to play this game? The best way to answer that is to play it. But like with dating.sim, I have a similar question. I I don't want to I, I but I also know I don't want to play it. <laughs> right? And th- there's literally no way for Ron Edwards to tell us if that's successful because there's no dice rolling in it. So like mm-hmm. What, how, where do, I mean, there's probably a way I'm just being flippant, right? Like, I'm sure Ron Edwards would have a response and say, oh, well, actually, I would call this a blah, 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 and we could think about search time in this way. But mostly I came away being like, wow, system does matter doesn't really do any of the things that it seems to want to do, at least for me, and I have no interest in trying to apply any of its insights to these games. I'm glad I read it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I was mostly struck by how I was like, wow. I feel like I have the same questions that Ron Edwards is trying to address, and I just don't think I can actually get to an answer via any part of that essay. Um, so yeah, well, that's where I landed. I mean, <laughs> I mean his answer would of course be, "Let's uh, go look at the big model, right?" Correct. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Which which is annoying, but also like not unfair in certain ways, right? Because system does matter is the is the. Uh, his his attempt to start theorizing a thing which he then continued to theorize and came up with an end result i don't know how successful that end result is personally um but... so, yeah same um and, and I, I guess that another way of saying the last thing i said is like whether or not ron edwards feels like he could get to an answer to the questions that i have mm. via his method i just don't know that i trust that method enough like, I just don't think it would work for me, right? Because it's not actually... I mean, what I care about is affect, right? Like, I, literally, I care about how does it feel to be at a table playing wishlist, mm-hmm. and no amount of theorizing is going to help me with that. I should just play a game of wishlist if I want to know the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I can do what we've done now for two hours or something, which is conjecture and be like, this part seems cool, this part seems a little finicky, this part seems neat. I, I kind of... I, I don't know. I kind of agree and disagree with you because... Because it's more complicated than that, right? Like, like, like we've been talking about specifically with wishlist. You could sit down and try to answer the question: Would it be fun to play wishlist and end up at a table where it's deeply not, or you could end up at a table where it it, it incredibly is, right? Yeah, correct. I, I I would say you you are in fact, yeah. I, I don't know that we disagree. I think you're saying the thing I just didn't say, which is exactly you, you are exactly right, right? Which is uh, I think the only way to find out if wishlist is fun is to play it at a table. And also based on all of the other things we've said, I think it would also matter very much what table I was playing at for both of these games. Um, yeah. But the the sort of bare thing of like I, I just think. No amount of theorizing is going to get me to a place where I feel confident ever declaring that wishlist is, quote, a good game and would be fun to play right. for this. T- like, it's just it's just like a category error, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's not and it's explicitly not what we're doing here. Right. Correct. We, we yeah. are trying to to work through this in terms of 
in terms of its systems and in terms of our reaction to them and in terms of like what we think is interesting here not what we think we could recommend to you our listener or whatever correct yeah yeah and i mean i guess with that we might as well kind of move move on to our our final little bits here because to to wrap up like basically the that is our wrap up, right? Like like you just said, we're not really interested in saying like, okay, and now dating.sim gets a X out of 10 or like, that's just not what we're doing here. Like, I think both dating.sim and wishlist are really cool. I think they were really interesting. I think they're really fun to read. Yeah. Um, I think Tyler's a really talented game designer. I'm excited to read the rest of the stuff in the possible worlds thing. And yeah, I mean, I, that, I think like that's kind of where we're going to wrap up <laughs> most of our mm-hmm. system conversations is like, well, that was interesting, cool. Or I didn't like that one. But I don't think in any way are we interested in saying, is this good or bad? <laughs> I, don't, I, think, I don't think we're ever going to end up on an I, don't, I didn't like that one. Correct. Um, because, because we'll say that in, over the course of discussing the things that are actually interesting about it, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, 100%. Um, which, which, which this is kind of my secret wish for all criticism in some ways right which is like the thing i love most is listening to critics talk about things and whether they love them or hate them the critics i love most what gets me excited is realizing and hearing in their voice or reading in their writing that they just love doing criticism and at some point even if you hate the thing that you're criticizing uh, you're you're a critic so there's like almost an inherent interest in the object in front of you that you are taking the time to interact with and so that's like very much a driving ethos on on my end and i think probably on yours but all all, what can we learn here yeah 100 percent. and and uh so that said uh what what can we learn next because uh our next episode (laughs) will be episode 2.1 in which we will read another theory thing you know so it's interesting (laughs) yeah You've you've mentioned now you said I think explicitly that you're excited to read some more theory, um, and and just now you said we're going to read some more theory, and I have a I have a proposal. Oh my god! What are these links? <laughs> what if we watched some theory? Okay, we, I have. So I am staring for the, hello listener for the listener. <laughs> I am staring at our episode one point two Google Doc, and I have in front of me secret links do not click, and it seems to be three separate links. Should I click on any of them now? Um, I well this uh, so I have I have two options for us because I genuinely we haven't had this conversation um and and I wanted to sort of feel how you're feeling um I have as our as my first option uh, an hour long YouTube video that's a lecture <gasps> and I was I wanted Ooh. to see if you'd be interested in doing a a a lecture with associated slides. And if not, I have a, a sort of a follow-up or a, a, another option that's a more traditional piece of writing. Um, how, how do you feel about, like, and I, 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 like, I ask this kind of as a joke, but, like, also genuinely, sincerely, like, I, I know different people process information in different ways. Like, sometimes, like, watching a theory lecture is not a good way to process information for certain people. And, and I don't know exactly where you are. Uh, on that point and i and i know it's it's harder for me personally to like retain information from like just a straight up lecture but i think this is a really interesting one i haven't i haven't watched it all the way through and i think it could be a a, a good uh second theory episode so just sort of on on the format level are you are you okay with us doing a a, a youtube video yeah so uh, so i have two answers uh, one absolutely okay and, and in fact even a little excited because i think this is nice. this is one of the things that 
I have slowly started to understand is that this is where just some of the theory is actually is like weird YouTube links to people to giving talks on things. There's definitely a sort of like the academic side of this that I don't know much about. I mean, I know Austin Walker has given multiple talks, some of them about TTRPG stuff, for instance, at like, you know, if he's like done it at like the game center at NYU or whatever. Practice. Yeah. Yeah. And like, as much as I love to read words, I do, in fact, love to read words. I love the idea of us opening it up to this, right? I mean, like, I, I'm pretty agnostic in terms of format, in terms of what I would be comfortable with on the show uh like i think i think be cool to listen to an episode of a podcast eventually right like if there's something that sounds cool so totally on board with video what i will say is personally i do tend to have a slightly harder time with video stuff but it's not for me what it takes is preparation and actually just making sure i'm like like i will not watch this on my television i will probably watch this on my computer sitting with headphones for instance which just gets me in that mode of like okay i'm focusing on a thing and taking notes so I'm totally cool. open. Uh, so let's do the video, I say. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's actually the first two links here. Oh, the, I see. The ones that are secret and links. Yeah. Uh, secret links to the slides <gasps> from Avery Alders, Imagining Ourselves, Queer Mechanics, and Queer Games. Games are systems. <laughs> this is the slide I opened up to. I don't. It's not even the first slide. Why am I on slide six? I don't know, but I love it. And then the second link is uh, is to the actual, actual video. lecture. Cool. It was given at Proud and Nerdy in <laughs> the year 2014. Wow. Um, for a, I believe Malmo is a Swedish city. I'm pretty is, sure. Yeah, I believe that is correct. Um, definitely Nordic in, in some way. It is a follow-up to Avery's talk um, that she gave at uh the Queerness in Games Conference, QGCon, along with another person who I believe has changed their name since. So I'm not sure um, about naming them. Sure. Um, uh, that was in, 20, in October of 2013 at a conference I was at where they gave a talk called Beyond Representation, Queer Mechanics in Tabletop Games. Oh. I went there. I saw most of that talk, but not the entire thing. I think I, I had to dip out at some point. Uh, but so Imagining Ourselves is, as far as I understand it, sort of a, a follow-up or a, 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 a digging in on the Beyond Representation talk that she gave a year before. is about not just, you know, having queer representation in games, which is to say forwarding queer characters, but about queering mechanics explicitly. I love it. Um, I'm sold. I, yeah, I have, I have watched maybe the first like 10 or 15 minutes She's a great speaker. It's very interesting. I'm I'm very excited to dive to dive in uh, after all of these years of having the beyond representation talk sort of in the back of my head. I th I think like around that same time it was like I think it was seeing that talk and reading a bunch of um, Robert Yang's writing from around the same time that really opened me up to thinking about queerness in in mechanics and in code rather than just um, you know as as a representative thing um and i and i think it should be cool i think it's gonna be cool i i, I agree I'm, I'm very excited this sounds great yeah cool well so and that works out oh, that works out great for me because now i can just uh delete this other link <laughs> and probably do it next time hell yeah <laughs> i won't click it uh cool 
so yeah, so uh, that's what we will read next episode. So episode 2.1, we will be, I guess, watching mm-hmm. Imagining Ourselves Queer Mechanics and Queer Games by Avery Alder. And with that, I think I think we might be done with episode 1.2. Yeah, I think we did a great job over the course of three weeks. We did it. I think the next one's going to rule. We did a great job. <laughs> uh, hopefully there will be no more t- tornado warnings uh, when I am getting ready to record. That would be a delight. But anyway, thank you everybody for listening to On the Matter of Systems. You've you've gone through the first month now, so you've gotten through our first sort of set of episodes, and this is how it'll work in the future. We do a systems episode, or we do a theory episode, and then we do a system episode uh, every month. So we will see you all next month. Say goodbye, B. Oh, wait, do we want to do plugs? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm still not really on the internet. I have a, uh, what would you call it? Like a... Um... What's the word for like a pancreas, like a, a vestigial, yes, a vestigial uh, Twitter account <laughs> over at B-E-N-L-A-D-E-N. Um, the thing you should do is go to islanddemeter.com and uh, and uh, I don't know why you would go there. Just go into to a podcast app like the one you were presumably using to listen to this with. Look up Island Demeter. Uh, it's uh, it's an actual play podcast featuring me and a bunch of other a bunch of other weirdos. Uh, we're working on our second season. Um, I've forgotten. No, I think it's. Uh, I think my uh, tagline is focused on critical play and queer bonami. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a good gay time where we play weird games and do weird stuff with role playing games. So you just listen to that. I think it's fun. I concur. It is fun, and you should listen to it. If you would like to follow me on the internet, uh, you are welcome to, but I don't know why (laughs) you would. Um, For sick weaving photos? Yeah, so that's what... Red? I got two two accounts I'm going to tell you about. Uh, One, I don't really ever post to the grid on Instagram anymore on my personal account, but I do post nearly daily Instagram stories of either my garden plot that I am growing or various flowers and trees. Uh, This weekend, if you were following me, you would have been able to see some very cool pictures of brick in Chicago because I went on a walking tour of brick in Chicago. It was very neat. Lovely. Uh, Anyway, that's Noted Hermit. Noted Hermit. Just one word on Instagram. Or you can follow my quote unquote brand, which is bakery slash workshop. That is three words all spelled out fully but smushed together uh, instagram.com slash bakery slash workshop or instagram.com slash noted hermit uh, at bakery slash workshop. You will see pictures of weaving. I make ceramics. I bake bread. I do too much stuff. And you unfortunately do it all very well. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Um, <laughs> I'm just too good. Um, mm-hmm. I'm too good. Well, uh, true, yeah. True. Thank you everybody for listening and coming along on this ride with us. And we will see you next month. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.